This podcast is brought to you by Brunner Communications, your best resource for public speaking, presentation, and storytelling skills. Visit lizbrunner.com and take your skills to the next level. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and my goal with each episode is to share stories of people who are recreating their lives or rising above challenges to write their next chapters with authenticity. These stories give me the courage to go after living my best life, and I think they will do that for you, too. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the show so this podcast can continue to inspire next chapters all over the world. It's never too late to create second chapters, and my guest today has done just that. She had a successful career in the finance industry only to give it all up after 9-11 and follow her passion. Today, she is an innkeeper, a chef, and culinary educator who shares her proud Puerto Rican culture and Jewish heritage to all of her guests. Trisha Perez-Keneally, welcome to my podcast. It's so wonderful to have you on the show today. Liz, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. You are the owner of the Inn at Hastings Park, which is a boutique hotel in historic Lexington, Massachusetts, which happens to be the only Relais and Chateau hotel in the Boston area. Share with our listeners what that distinction means, because it's kind of important. So being a member of Relais and Chateau was always a dream of mine. It started in France, and the whole idea was that properties have a certain standard of service. They should be iconic and represent the location of where the establishment is. So when I lived in Europe, I had the pleasure of visiting many relays. And when I embarked on this journey, this was my goal. My goal was to create a property that would be worthy of being selected as a member of Relay and Chateau. Before we get to you transforming the inn into this very world-class establishment and culinary experience, you have an MBA from Harvard Business School. You went on to become an investment banker in London, and you just talked about being in Europe. Why did you want to go into the finance industry in the first place? I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. My father was an entrepreneur, CPA by training, but then started his own business. And so I went to Harvard Business School because it's renowned for training people to be general managers because I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I decided to go into investment banking. I had been in commercial banking before I went to business school because I felt that if I could do that, I could do anything. I had the opportunity to work for a very established traditional bank, Bear Stearns. And then I went to work for Robertson Stevens, which was one of, they were regarded as the four horsemen, the bankers who were kind of working with the technology companies. I graduated at, from HBS in 1997, which is the you know, the beginning of the internet boom. So I was in the thick of it. It was an incredible learning experience for me. And I am one of those people that believes everything that we do in life, all of the little things that we do are preparation for those next chapters. And so I learned a lot from my clients. I learned a lot being in the finance industry and it all prepared me to be an entrepreneur in hospitality. My grandmother always had the saying of no knowledge is ever wasted. And I think that is absolutely true. We're going to fast forward a little bit now because then 9-11 happens. And you say that that was a day of reckoning for you. How so? 
So actually, I was living based in London at the time, but I actually was in Boston in my apartment in Charlestown. Our oldest child, our daughter, Gabriella, was three weeks old. My husband had flown back to London. I drove him to Logan Airport on the 10th. And that was sort of the first night that I'd ever spent alone with Gabriella. And I woke up the next morning and, you know, turned on the news. I had worked for Citibank as a summer intern and someone's job that summer was doing emergency planning. And one of the scenarios was an airplane flying into the two Citibank buildings. The assumption was that when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, somebody at Teterboro, which is a small airport outside of the city, is in big trouble in air traffic control. Like, this is horrible. Then when the second plane hit, it was a game changer. I'm on maternity leave. I hadn't been working in the Boston office for over a year, but my first instinct was I picked up the phone and I called one of my associates and I said to him, I said, I need to know where everybody is right now because those flights when they were talking about long haul flights, we had people on those flights all the time, mm. all the time. And you were reporting that day, I'm sure. I was, in fact. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. Nope. It was a beautiful, beautiful day in Boston. And all of a sudden, it was like dead silent. Yes. Mike was in London. I was here with Gabriella. We ended up coming out to Lexington where my parents live. That day was so frightening because I didn't know if I if I was going to see Mike, right? Like, when was that going to happen again? So obviously, we know it transpires over the course of the next few weeks. We go back to London. I had been planning to go back to a different job with the bank. I was going to be the chief of staff. I was going to be working with our three offices. But we started laying off employees. And I had always thought of starting my own business. And all of a sudden, I'm in London. I have a brand new baby. And I'm like, this is it. And so I took my severance package. Yep. And I used that money to pay to go to Le Cordon Bleu because I really had always been very passionate about food. And my first objective was to teach people how to cook. Right. I have always adored Julia Child. I felt that if I was going to share my passion for cooking with people, I was already a, a solid, very good cook, you know, could cook for 20 people, through dinner parties all the time. It didn't phase me. But if I was going to take it to the next level... I felt that I had to be trained by the best. Did you know immediately when you got that severance package that, and you were done with banking, you wanted to cook and that you were going to be a chef? I mean, was that an immediate flip for you? So when I applied to HBS, I also had toyed with the idea of going to the Culinary Institute of America. Like Uh I looked at it at the same time. Okay. And I had taken some pretty intensive, high level cooking classes in the New York area. They weren't your run-of-the-mill cooking classes. They were very intense French technique. When we had the opportunity to move to London, I was very much aware that there was a cordon bleu there. I knew that it was there, but then push came to shove. Yeah, And it's so interesting because I think that for people my age, 9-11 was a very important pivot point. And now I think that second pivot point for us is going to be the pandemic. Le Cordon Bleu, in case people don't know, this is a very elite French cook culinary school. It's not for the faint of heart at all. Where does this passion for and love of cooking come from for you? I think the passion comes from my childhood in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. Food is such an important part of the Puerto Rican culture. I, I was just there with my daughter for three days. And one of my friends who's Puerto Rican as well, we were classmates at Harvard undergrad. 
she sent me a text while we were there because we were making plans to go out for dinner. And she said, I don't know if there's anyone who loves Puerto Rico as much as you do. <laughs> and I think that part of it is, is I have such nostalgia about growing up. And a lot of that is around food. It's about being with our neighbors and going to you know their houses in the mountains or being at the beach or even we used to throw these holiday parties in our cul-de-sac right where this incredible food would be coming out and everyone would just be outside and having a good time right the weather is so conducive to that i learned so much mm -hmm. from that experience and i think that sort of carried through god bless my mother purple buttercream in my mother's kitchen when i was 12. <laughs> You imagine? Purple. 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 Okay. Right? Like beautiful kitchen and there's frosting everywhere. And I wasn't so good at the cleaning up then. But then fast forward, I threw dinner parties when I was in high school, after I graduated from college and we would be going out, you know, to the beach if we were out in the Hamptons, everyone else would be, you know, sitting on the beach at four o'clock and I would be back at the house having the time of my life cooking dinner for 25 people. Wow. Amazing. Well, after your investment banker career ends and following culinary school, you and your family move back from London to Lexington, and you basically start from scratch. You decide to buy the inn, which has quite a history in and of itself, going back to the 1600s. What made you decide to buy this inn in the first place? I mean, no doubt it needed a lot of renovations to turn it into a culinary destination. So why? Lexington has such a rich history that I'm very proud of, of being the birthplace of American liberty. The concept of an inn actually plays in that history, plays a very important role because the militia, the Lexington men, and it was predominantly men, were waiting at the Buckman Tavern as the regulars were advancing from Boston. That inn, the tavern, was a town meeting place. It was a place where people came together mm. to celebrate, to mourn, to have political discussions, business discussions. And I thought it was so odd that it plays such a pivotal role in our history. And we didn't have any place that you could actually do that now. When this property came on the market in 2010, I'd sort of been looking at places, but zoning is really important. You can't just be in the middle of a neighborhood <laughs> and decide that you're going to open an inn. And so this seems like a great spot. It just was centrally located and it seemed like a great opportunity. And so my objective was when I presented the concept to the community and the different boards was I want to open a 22 guest room inn with a 54 seat restaurant that is going to be a world-class destination. That was my goal. <laughs> I'm sure that they looked at you and went, what? <laughs> and we have been visited by guests from all 50 states. We haven't checked this in the last year, but at last count, we also have had guests from over 48 countries. Amazing. How long did this transformation take? Because you're taking this very historic building and you're bringing in all these modern touches that guests obviously want and expect today, especially with a Relais and Chateau distinction. The first time I looked at the property was December 9th or 10th of 2010. The doors opened in the beginning of 2014. It took a year and a half to get through the zoning. Ooh. We had to go through town meeting. Of course. Which is a lengthy process. There was some work that we could do before Right. You couldn't get the permits until you had the zoning. And then once we got the permitting, it took, you know, a year and a half. Ugh. 
But the rooms are, I mean, I've looked at them online. They're absolutely gorgeous. And I know for you, the Inn at Hastings Park, it's very important for you that you blend both your Puerto Rican roots and your Jewish heritage at the Inn. How do you do that? I do it, well, I think my personality. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very present here in terms of welcoming our guests and sort of setting the tone. I jokingly said in a zoning meeting that this is going to be like cheers. We're going to know your name. Mm -hmm. But I think that's also very Puerto Rican. You know, it's not uncommon in Puerto Rican culture. If you and I were to just meet today and we were having a big family celebration tonight, I'd be like, oh my God, Liz, you need to come. Venga. You know, just come have fun with us. So really trying to be accommodating, opening, receptive, anticipating what my guests want before they even know. And I think that it also is reflected in different things that we do on the menu, different celebrations that we have throughout the year. The inn is decorated beautifully for Christmas, but then there's also, we make sufganiot, which are, you know, Israeli jelly donuts. We do a special Passover dinner. We've done fundraisers for J Arts, which is a Jewish arts organization. We've done stuff with the temple. I, I mean, there's a Yiddish word. It's called mishpacha. It's like a whole mess. <laughs> I like the mishpacha. <laughs> okay. So we try to just celebrate it all. I do know that the very meat pie recipe that you learned in Puerto Rico, you do use at the end. So if people are looking for that, they can find it. You also offer online cooking classes, immersive culinary weekends, special experiences, even whether it's Valentine's Day or Easter, but you've got these great experiences for people to enjoy. Take us through a weekend like that. For example, later today, I'm doing our supper club series. So that's once a month. That's usually people who live in the area, not overnight guests, and they're themed. So tonight I'm doing Italian food. We also do these immersive culinary weekends where people come, they check in on Friday afternoon, and they spend about 20 hours with me, both cooking. I also take them on, a, I call it like an agrarian history tour. It's talking about the very important role that agriculture and farming played mm. in the revolution and in American history. We have this beautiful garden in the back that in the winter, they're igloos. So we call it our igloo wonderland. <laughs> so any of our dining experiences can be enjoyed in the igloos. That's usually from November to about April. And then the garden becomes this beautiful garden for the spring and summer. And what I'm really excited about is we carefully curated the design of the inn, but there's also things that we do in terms of our food and beverage offerings. One of my favorite, favorite sparkling wines, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful product, but it's also the history of the product is the Schramsberg sparkling wine. Um, it's owned by the Davies family. Um, I'm actually... I'm looking in my office. I have this beautiful, Liz will get to enjoy it because she's seeing me, but the rest of you will just have to imagine. This is actually a saber and I've used it to saber sparkling wine. Wow. <laughs> Our new partner for the garden this summer is Schramsberg because I like working with products that I love, but I also like working with products that celebrate American culinary tradition and American craftsmanship. Amazing. So that's just some examples of some of the things that you can do on property with us. Now, I don't know if you can talk about this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What's up with the beat Bobby Flay? <laughs> can you talk about that? <laughs> I can now. Okay, um, tell us about it. Did you beat him? <laughs> so I didn't beat Bobby. Oh. So it was an incredible experience. It was in September of 2021. Okay. COVID was still very much a thing. Mm. So Bobby is incredibly talented. 
you know, what he does, it's pretty incredible, like his ability to process through a recipe and perform. It's not an easy thing to do. My steak was perfectly cooked. (laughs) I spent so much time preparing for the dish, the second part. It was a really good lesson in preparation because I hadn't prepared for the first part, which is the challenge which is a a secret ingredient that you don't know, it's timed. And I really felt like they tell you to focus on the star ingredient. So I did. And what I loved was people's responses. Talk about my Instagram lighting up and direct messages from people, texts from people that I hadn't heard from in a long time. And I was really proud because the common phrase was, you got robbed. So if Bobby wants a rematch, I'm ready. You're ready. I'm ready. Well, when you're not at the inn, you are a member of the Board of Advisors for the Friedman School of Nutrition at Tufts University. You also somehow, I don't know how you do this, but you find time to coach your children's sports teams, regularly compete in the Pan Mass Challenge bicycle ride, you run marathons, and you do something that you and I discovered that we have in common, which is ballroom dancing. How long have you been dancing and why do you love it? I've been ballroom dancing, it's actually like seven years now. It really is an incredible passion of mine. I think that what I love about it, it's similar. It is similar to cooking because it's so multifaceted. You really have to, you have to use your brain and you have to, when you're doing it properly, you have to use your entire body. And it's so hard. (laughs) I grew up dancing, Liz. I mean, I did jazz, tap, ballet. Ballroom's different. I thought I knew how to dance (laughs) until I started ballroom dancing. The pandemic also made me realize there are some things that are really important Mm -hmm. to me in terms of there's so many things that are demanded of me professionally. It actually helps me focus to be able to have this outlet, to be able to focus the discipline of learning and understanding that it can always be better. Always. (laughs) That's the hard part. Some people have been surprised that you made the switch from an investment banker to hospitality, but you've said it's really not that dramatic. And just hearing your passion right now for food and cooking and togetherness and relationship, it sounds like you're living your best life. How would you describe living your best life? Being at the inn, and especially again, when we reopened after the pandemic, I realized or it reaffirmed to me how lucky I am to be able to do this job, to be able to be the person that welcomes our guests and takes care of them, no matter why they're here. People come for very happy reasons, but sometimes people are here because someone has passed away, someone is sick. It's an unexpected turn or twist in the road, but being able to take care of people in all of those moments of life, it's a gift. Right. And in terms of living my best life, what I've also learned, I talked to my team. My management team is all women. In the last 18 months, we've had two babies born to members of my management team. A third one is on the way. So I feel a big responsibility as a working mother to model that behavior, like what it what it means. Right. And what I talk to with my team a lot is that we have to put on our oxygen mask, our oxygen masks first. And part of my putting on my oxygen mask is allowing myself the space and the time to do things that make me happy. Mm -hmm. Ballroom dancing makes me happy. Being able to ride the PMC, it will be my 17th ride this summer. 
These are things that bring me joy. Mm-hmm. During the pandemic, when we reopened, I probably was working 18 hours a day. Mm. And there were spans of time that it was six, seven days in a row. Part of what enabled me to do that is that I was still making time to dance. Mm -hmm. I was still making time to work out. Too often we think that we don't have time. You actually do need to make time for those things if you want to live your best life. I also have been become very comfortable. I hate, it's like nails on a chalkboard when someone says, oh, she's superwoman. I am so not superwoman. <laughs> I just have learned to become very comfortable with if there's a pile of mail, if the house doesn't look, you know, like Martha Stewart's house, I'm okay with that. You're okay. I get satisfaction from other parts. And I think that we need to be a little kinder and gentler with ourselves about what's important to us. Folks, if you'd like to learn more about Trisha and the Beautiful Inn, just go to innathastingspark.com. That's innathastingspark.com. And be sure to check out their exceptional immersive culinary weekends and so much more. Trisha, I'm wishing you continued success and thank you for giving us yet another great example of that we can recreate our lives. We can have second chapters and that does include passion. Thank you so much. Thanks, Liz. And may all of you live your best life when sharing in the love of good food and the experience of coming together for a beautiful meal. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fastwitchmedia.space.